So we have been、um, doing a series through the, the past、um, few weeks, probably five or six weeks. I think originally we only aimed at four, but it's kind of morphed into six weeks <clears throat> just over this whole kind of Christmas period. And the series has been called、um, The Miracle of the Messiah, talking about Jesus and running up to Christmas, because literally everyone's just running around and going nuts and losing their minds. We're just trying. <laughs> Week to week, we've just been trying to stay focused, you know what I mean? And、um, <clears throat> although we are now kind of like on the back of Christmas, as it were, we're still in the Christmas period. And、um, so we're going to continue with our series, probably concluding today. And、um, you've probably heard it said, right, that <clears throat> I can't see that screen, that a dog is not、um, just for Christmas, right? A dog is for life. You've, you've, you've heard that before. And,、um, and, the, and the whole thinking behind that is, Don't buy a dog, you know what I'm saying, kind of like as a snap decision. Like, you need to think it through. Because having a dog, you know what I'm saying, comes with major implications. I know that because everyone in my family wants a dog. Four or five years ago, it was a cat. And I said, all right then. Like, as much as if it was my choice, I wouldn't have a cat.、Um, everyone in that, so I was like, okay then. As long as I'm not going to have to be responsible for taking care of the cat, cool. And up until now, thank the Lord, I haven't had to be responsible for it. And our cat's a really good cat. His name's Fendi.、Um, and he's a good cat. Now, since then, everyone's got this thing about getting a dog now. And, and, and I'm actually not having it. Am I, Tyler? No. And everyone's not happy with me and the fact that I'm kind of being a bit of a Scrooge when it comes to this dog. But. I understand the implications, see? Anyway, how many of you know,、um, apart from <laughs>、uh, making bad decisions that come with implications, people tend to,、um, to make some bad decisions in the run up to Christmas and then end up regretting it after Christmas? You know what I'm saying? When all the, the hype and all the excitement dies down,、um, eat too much, right? We always hear this coming up to this and the beginning of the year. And the implications of eating too much are needing to start running, going to the gym, walking, dieting, etc.、Um, maybe drank too much alcohol, some people, you know what I'm saying? And,、um, and sadly, it ends up leading to people having car accidents, you know what I'm saying?、Um, possibly losing a driver's license. I mean, major implications. Getting drunk and getting into a fight. That may have major implications. And I'm saying, I know someone that got drunk over Christmas once, fell over, split their head open. And, I mean, and they've got the scar to prove it for life. A reminder of, and I'm saying, maybe making some bad decisions. <clears throat>、um, borrowing extortionate amounts of money before Christmas, and then the whole credit card implication, not just this year, but taking years to pay that off. And how about paying for someone else's? I mean, it's one thing paying for your, own, for your own bad judgment. How about paying for someone else's bad judgment? You know what I'm saying? Maybe, maybe、um, paying for someone else's mistake. You know, sadly,、um, there are a couple of individuals that I know this year that are having a really terrible time over Christmas because they've either recently been divorced or their marriage has broken down. You know what I'm saying? And it's not been their fault. In the sense that it's, the, it's the partner has determined that they don't want to be in the marriage anymore. 
paying for someone else's bad judgment or mistake. How about this Christmas being difficult, but it's, it's no one's fault. You know, maybe someone's passed away and, you know, there are a few of us that find it particularly hard at Christmas if you've, if you've had someone pass away. So my father-in-law passed away at Christmas. Sometimes we're really, really pleased when it doesn't snow because the snow makes it worse because it's, it was snowing on, on the day that um, my wife's dad passed away um, 11 years ago. We have a funeral tomorrow, would you believe? Um, um, and for the whole O'Shea family, how many of you know Christmas isn't, this Christmas isn't going to be so great. And successive Chris, um, Christmases, you know what I'm saying, that come beyond this are always going to be tainted, yeah. you know what I'm saying, with, are going to be marked with pain and heartache, you know what I'm saying, joy and, the mixture of joy and sadness at Christmas. Christmas is never going to be the same again for them. Well, <clears throat> regardless of kind of where you find yourself, um, we want to argue that Jesus, um, in in, 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 in similar fashion is for life and he's not just for, for Christmas. And <clears throat> I suppose basically meaning that if we consider the Lord Jesus, embracing him has major implications. And um, hopefully maybe today you might be in for a little bit of a surprise with regards to the implications because there's more to Jesus than meets the eye. And, and with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that here um, where we live in the West, um, we live in a throwaway culture. Um, yet we cannot afford to throw the person of Jesus away like discarded wrapping paper um, or an artificial Christmas tree that we just stick in a loft until next December. Please help us, Lord, I pray, to see that Jesus isn't just for Christmas. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Amen. So we talked about the... Can't see anything, yeah? Here we go. We talked about the, the miracle of the Messiah under quite a number of, of titles. Miracle of the moment, miracle of the message, um, miracle of the method, how it came about, miracle of the manger, if you might remember last week, and um, Jesus being the most important child ever born in human history and, and in the miracle of the Magi or the miracle of the wise men last week. So we're concluding on the miracle now of the Messiah and kind of going back to the, the I suppose the series title, <clears throat> whereas last Sunday's message saw Jesus as a child in a crib um, who'd end up um, as an executed adult on a cross. Um, this week, we're going to see Jesus as much, much more. You'd think, you might say, well, wait a minute. I mean, you talk about his birth and you talk about his, his, his life and his death. Like, what more can there be like to Jesus? Well, you know what I'm saying? Well, you'd be like, isn't that the person's whole life? Well, no. Um, what more can there be seen? Well, when it comes to Jesus, there's a, there's a whole heap more. Let me read for you Revelation. This is tricky. Revelation chapter Chapter 1, verse 4 to 8. It says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, 
to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. <clears throat> the miracle of the Messiah. I'd like to um, just share three brief points um, with reference to just this portion of the text. And um, recognizing that the kids are in means I really need to kind of hurry and not dwindle. I know Bertram will help me when I start going down rabbit trails, true? And um, by way of introduction, um, the Apostle John, um, who's the author of this book, um, is writing to God's people in the first century. Um, now, this is a number of years after the birth of Christ, probably around about 96 AD. So we're talking about, you know, like a number of years after Jesus. Um, and, and it's funny, as we look back, not just on this previous week, kind of going back to Christmas and the birth of Christ, and the celebration. If we, if, if we look back, not just on this year, or, or even back to the past 2,000 years, if we go back kind of 6,000 years of, of human history, how many of you know humans have been around for a while? But as a human being, kind of relatively, re relatively speaking, I've only been here for a short moment. Um, you know, I, we, we, we got my mum, an iPhone 8 for Christmas. Like, she had this horrible... Have you heard of Doro? Like, Doro was supposed to be the specialist, like, phone makers for, for the elderly. Phone's horrible. Horrible, horrible, horrible. And um, so we got our iPhone 8. And, and for the first time, to her surprise and... Uh, should I say jubilation and surprise? Maybe more surprise than anything. I FaceTimed her. And she could see me talking to her on this big old wide screen, because it's the, it's, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the iPhone 8 Plus, so it's the big screen. She was amazed to see me looking at her. Anyway, anyway, as I'm looking at her, as she's looking at me, I'm looking at her and her gray hair. You know, my mom, she was going to try and be here today, but it was a madness, because um, I'd have had to take her back to Tonbridge and come back again, and it was a madness. And um, <clears throat> keep it moving. <clears throat> um, um, I, looked at, I looked at her face, and I looked at her hair and I saw her grey hair. And you know, you, can, you got picture in picture, you can see yourself kind of like a small... I looked at myself and I was like, whoa. For the first time, I noticed that I've got grey hair. Not, not the first time that I noticed I've got grey hair, but for the first time, looking at her and looking at myself, I realised I wasn't young anymore. <laughs> and, um, you know... Again, we got the, the funeral for Mr. Mike O'Shea tomorrow. I remember visiting Mike, um, you know, not just in the hospital, but also at home. And aware of the fact that this dear brother was getting ready to go be with the Lord. You know what I'm saying? And just being reminded that I would be at some point, you know what I'm saying, in that same place in the future. 
And I've kind of coined a phrase as I've been thinking about this. And um, how many of you know it's really healthy for intergenerational um, um, communion? That is for us to spend time with those that are older than us and, that's for, and for us to spend time who are older with those who are younger than us. It's really, really healthy, this intergenerational um, communion. And, and, and I'd like to say that we need regular intervention, and I'm saying, of the older generation to remind us of our final destination. We need regular intervention with regards to the older generation to remind us of our final destination. And, you know, this is a reminder, this text, of our own finiteness. We'll get there in a minute. <clears throat> now, in stark contrast to, to, to our finiteness, listen to, um, to verse 4 in our text with reference to the God that is the one who is, who was, and who is to come. Can you, can you hear the contrast and the comparison to us who are finite? God was in the eternal past. God is in the ongoing present. And, and God will be in the eternal future, unlike us. To say that God has been around for a while would be a gross understatement. And, and, and we should be humbled um, by our finiteness and awestruck by God's infinite nature. And, and God here is evidently presented as um, Yahweh of the Old Testament. That is the triune God. The one God in three persons. And verse 4 speaks particularly of God the Father. Can you see it? Oh, no, you can't because the text's not there. My bad. <laughs> Forgive me, I'm not going to put it up because I'm going to get lost. Verse 4, if you're following in your Bible, speaks particularly of God the Father, but it also speaks of God the Spirit. So we read, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, speaking of the Father, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. God the Father and also God the Spirit. And this idea of the seven spirits of God um, is really a kind of like a quote from the Old Testament from Isaiah 11. Let me see if I can find it. There we go. Isaiah 11 um, describes the seven aspects, if you like, of the Holy Spirit. He's the Spirit of the Lord. It says, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, and the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. If you like the sevenfold Holy Spirit. It isn't that there are seven different spirits of God. Rather the Spirit of the Lord has these characteristics. And he has them all in fullness and perfection. <clears throat> and if you like he is the sevenfold Spirit of God. The second member of the Trinity. Um, who, is, who is also God. But then we have. The third member of the Trinity. Verse 5 then references the Lord Jesus as the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. How many of you know the book of Revelation sometimes can often be seen as a scary book? Yep. Often people don't even want to read it, you know what I'm saying, because of the, the references, references in there to... Stuff of the stuff of nightmares. 
Um, but the word revelation, all it means is, is simply a revealing or an unveiling. I'm saying the, the book of revelation or the book, the book that reveals something. And, it, and, and it's, it's ultimately the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's like, it's like take the covers off and, re and reveal Jesus for who he really is. And, um, you know, Apple are always re revealing new products, right? And, and they try to keep stuff quiet until the revelation of the product. And you're like, oh, 16-inch MacBook Pro, wow. You know what I'm saying? And, and then you hear all about it when it's revealed. Um, did, did you guys see um, this new Tesla truck? That's, you know what I'm saying? Like, there was all this talk about it. And then when they revealed it, everyone was like, like oh my, like that. This, it was nothing like anyone expected to see. And, it, and, there, and there it is. It's, here it is now. It's revealed. In a sense, you know what I'm saying? The book of Revelation is like that with the Lord Jesus, in a sense. Revealing things about him that you may not be aware of, but that are ultimately absolutely true about his person. And how many of you know, I, I, when, it, when it comes to the revelation of Jesus, historically speaking, there are kind of two revealings. Um, there's the revealing at his first coming, and, there's, and then there's the revealing at his second coming. At his first coming, Jesus was revealed, as we just mentioned, as the faithful witness. In, in John chapter 1, verse 18, it says, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. There's another verse that makes reference to the triune God. I'm saying you've got, if you like, God the Father, and then you've got God the Son, who also is God, who's next to him. And I'm saying Jesus leaves heaven, comes to earth, and then reveals the Father in ways that he has never been revealed before, right? Because Jesus knows the Father. And, and this revealing of Jesus as the faithful witness speaks about his utter reliability and his faithfulness to the truth, um, even unto death. Um, the word witness actually is, 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 is also translated martyr. Um, so Jesus reveals truth even to the point where he is martyred or he loses his life. There's a faithfulness that's consistent right from beginning to end. He's the faithful witness. He's also the firstborn from the dead. And you might get the impression that this is just talking about the fact that, oh, he rose from the dead. It's actually more than that. This speaks about Jesus' standing as, as preeminent among all beings, that he is first in priority. Firstborn from the dead means much more than, than Jesus is the first person resurrected. It also means that he's preeminent among all those um, who eventually will be resurrected. He's kind of talking about his position. The firstborn from the dead. And then, and then he's also the ruler of the kings on the earth. Do you remember, um, it was announced last week, quote unquote, by the wise men at Jesus' birth. When they said, where is he who has been born, what? King of the Jews, in Matthew chapter 2. But after his death and his resurrection, just before he ascended, at the end of his earthly life, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now that sounds to me like someone who has the status of a king, again, probably an understatement. Because when the person who has all authority 
not just, you know what I'm saying, on earth, but also in heaven. When he says jump, you say, and me say, how high, right? That, that kind of authority. And so, so we see Jesus kind of stated to be a king, um, and in a limited sense, it seems, king of the Jews. You know what I'm saying? But then towards the end of his life, it's quite clear that Jesus is not just king of the Jews, especially when Jesus commissions the apostles to go out. And then you see in Acts chapter 1, he tells them to go out throughout the whole world. He says, you will be my witnesses, not just in Jerusalem to the Jews and in Judea, but also to Samaria, you know what I'm saying, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth, you know what I'm saying. And that, and that continues in that. That message about Jesus spreads throughout the whole world. Why? Because he's the king of the whole world. Jesus, even in this book in Revelation, is referred to as the king of kings. You know what I'm saying? He's, he's not just a limited king. In Colossians chapter 1, we hear a reference to his preeminence. So verse 15 to 19 says, He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by... By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is noticed before all things. Now, if, if, if he's the one that created thrones and dominions and rulers, I mean, how could that ever be compared to him if he created them? He's, and, and, and verse 7, he's before all of that stuff. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn. Again, it mentions it from the dead, that in everything, he might be preeminent. You hear the king language. You hear the, the fact that like, he is, is, is not only, again, ruling here on earth, but also in heaven. Verse 9, for in him all the fullness of God, of, of God was pleased to dwell. So it's no great surprise that we would identify him as a king and a great king at that. See, this is partly beginning to help us to understand who Jesus really is. A little later, we don't have time, in chapter 1 of Revelation, even John gets startled at this revelation of who Jesus is. And, and he was with Jesus for three years, you know what I'm saying? And yet he sees a Jesus that he'd never seen before. Even after seeing Jesus transfigured on, on, in, in Matthew 17 on the mountain, right? He sees, he sees Jesus in Revelation 1 and he faints. He just collapses because it's like he's overwhelmed with Jesus as he's been further revealed in his glory. Jesus is the glorious God of the past. But Jesus is also, our second point, is the glorious God of the present. I'm in the middle of verse 5. It says, To him, notice, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. I think there are a few translations that, that actually put this in the past tense. But I think the, um, the more literal translations reference this in the present tense. And it's encouraging, isn't it? To him who loves us, present tense, and has freed us from our sins, even past tense, by his blood. John speaks, if you like, about Christ's current love for his people. 
this present tense love, predicated on his previous sacrifice on the cross. This is one of the reasons that we can rest assured, even in the midst of current difficulty, like I mentioned a few of them at the beginning, and I'm saying, not sure what you're experiencing. And especially as we're coming to the end of the year, right? This is the last Sunday before the beginning of the new year. And um, some of us probably look back on the past and think, yeah, you know what? 2019 was a good year. <coughs> so some of us look back on the past and can't even remember like what 2000... I can just about remember what happened yesterday. Maybe again, it's a sign of me getting old. You know what I'm saying? And, but, but, but looking back with regards to, to the past... Not sure how your year was, but one of the things we can be encouraged by, especially as we're going to this new year, is that Jesus loves us currently, presently. You may not have felt like he loved you through this past year, you know what I mean? But the Bible reminds us that he has loved us and that he currently loves us. That's really a great encouragement. And <clears throat> it's, not, it's not just that God loved you in the past with a love that wanes. He loves you. He loves me in the present. God's love is perpetual. It's permanent. It's a present tense type of love. And that because of the cross. That because Jesus shed his blood for us. He loved us and brought us as sinners into his family. And then verse 6 goes on to say he doesn't just love us currently and, in, and, and, and the fact that we can be encouraged by that. He then brings us as sinners into his service. So verse 6 says he's made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So we've been, we've been delivered out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of, 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 of Christ, God's dear son. So we're servants in another kingdom. We're in the kingdom of light and in God's kingdom, in contrast to being slaves, remember, um, in the kingdom of Satan. So we're no longer paupers, we're, but we're priests. You know I'm saying we're servants in that sense. And we have the privilege of being able to, you know, you remember that the role of the priest is opposite to the role of the king, um, the role of the prophet. So the prophet would hear from God and say, okay, and he'd go and speak to the people. The priest is the opposite. The priest is the person that hears the people and they're like, he's like, whoa, okay. And then goes and speaks to God on the behalf of the people. That's the, that's the role of the priest. And, the, and, and, and now that we've been brought into the kingdom of God and we're children of God, we're sons and daughters of God, we are also servants of God. And I think we're going to talk a little bit more about that in the beginning of the new year. So we're servants of God and we get to serve God and we get to serve one another. And I'm saying, and then we also get to serve those who are not yet reconciled to God. We get the privilege of serving as priests before God. And that's just a great privilege. We're, we're priests. We're no longer paupers. We're actually royal. In chapter 5 of Revelation, it says that we are not just priests, but we're kings and priests unto our God. We've been saved to serve God and his people and this dying world. And John says, in response to how wonderful he sees that to be, he says, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's like a little bit of worship in there. 
saved to serve our glorious God in the present, based on his glorious work for us in the past, which brings us to our third point, um, the glorious God of the future. So verse 7 continues and says, Behold, apart from describing him for who he is, it's going to tell us a little bit about what he's going to do because he ain't finished. Right? He's the God of the past, he's the God of the present, but he's also God of the future. Verse 7, Behold, he is coming. And he's coming in a special way with the clouds. You might, rem might remember at the ascension, Jesus ascended back into heaven with the clouds. And the angel says, the same way you see him leave, it's the same way he's returning, right? Behold, he's coming with the clouds. And, but, but notice, it was only a few of the disciples and the apostles that saw him when he left. When he comes back, it's a different matter. It says, every eye will see him. And what is really mysterious is even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Verse 8, I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. <clears throat> so last week we celebrated Jesus' first coming, the birth of Christ at Christmas. Last Wednesday, <clears throat> Christmas Day, many people weren't even aware of, of what Christmas, and I'm saying, possibly was really all about. It's just another holiday, not realizing it was actually a holy day, at least in terms of the birth of Christ. We know he wasn't born on the 25th of December, right? <clears throat> but in the same way, probably many people didn't realize what Christmas was about and who Jesus was last week. It was the same in the first century at Jesus' first coming. At his first coming, Jesus wasn't universally recognized, remember, for who he was. Um, but how many of you know, based on this text and other verses in the New Testament, how many of you, and in the Old Testament, how many of you know at his second coming, it's going to be another matter? At his second coming, Jesus will be universally recognized for who he is by everybody. It says, every eye will see him. Now, <clears throat> it won't be like the first time. A few shepherds, a few animals, Mary and Joseph. And, you know, it, it could be one of a few things. It could be a satellite broadcast type event. You know, say maybe even more. Where everyone on the planet at the same time will see him at his return. Could mean that. How many of you know, looking at the book of Revelation, there's a, there's a, quite, there's a, there's a few different ways to kind of understand it. And, you know, there's a literal interpretation in that sense. Everyone will see him. And it's funny, isn't it? Living in the days of technology, like nowadays, that doesn't seem hard to believe. You know what I mean? Like a hundred years ago, that would have been a madness. No one could get there. How can everyone on the planet see him? And they say, well, you know what I'm saying? Satellite technology. I'm saying we get to watch the World Cup. You know what I'm saying? In every country in the world, all at the same time. Does it mean that? I'm not sure. <clears throat> Especially when it makes reference to the fact that even those who pierced him will see him. How about that? That's people who potentially are not even alive. Maybe this is some kind of multidimensional, you know what I'm saying, um, supernatural occurrence where, you know what I'm saying, the windows of heaven are open, like the, the, you know what I'm saying, the fourth dimension. And I'm saying is, is entered into. 
and, and now we're getting people on the planet and people who are, who, who, are, who are dead in the past, like every eye will see him. Well, we know that at least eventually, apart from it being some kind of global phenomenon, um, we know that eventually every eye will see him, you know what I'm saying? Because every, every, every individual at some point is going to have to stand before him and not to give an account of our lives. Um, there's mystery around this. But how many of you know, whether it's a global phenomenon or an individual standing before God, standing before the Lord Jesus, how many of you know, if a person is not prepared for that, that could be quite terrifying. Especially those who pierced him and who didn't recognize who he was for who he was and ended up dying in their sins. Terrifying. Which contrasts with his, first, that's his second coming, contrasts with his first coming. At his first coming, how many of you know Jesus came to save? Remember it was said of the angels, peace on earth and and then the song says, mercy mild, right? God and sinners reconciled. I've got a lyric that says, Jesus left the communion of the Father and the Spirit, arrived on earth, became dirt, in order that he might restore the whore who was vile and then walk us down the aisle. He didn't have to leave his home, but he chose to. He didn't have to die for sin, but he chose you. And through his sacrifice on the cross, he paid the cost and reconciled the lost. Right? That's what he did, didn't he? And, and it's funny because last week I was trying to remember someone else's bars. I, 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 I don't, maybe it was some kind of false humility. I don't know. It was my own lyrics, but I couldn't remember them. And someone came up to me and reminded me of my own lyrics. I think I remember them this time. It was about Jesus, right? And about him coming and what he did. Brethren, the man's so humble. The man can't fumble. I never ever seen the man grumble. This world is rotten and fungal, yet he left his heavenly home for this jungle. He lowered himself to that of a refuse collector. The plan was become a garbage man, going through the junk heaps, salvaging peeps and spiritually sweeping the streets. That's what Jesus came to do in order to reconcile us as sinners to himself. In his first coming, in his first coming, Jesus came to save, he came to rescue, came to reconcile. But at his second coming, peak, because he's coming this time to judge in the future. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 says, I charge you, says Paul to Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, notice, who is to judge the living and the dead. And then we get again, kind of like a, a mysterious insight to those who are alive currently, but those who are also um, alive but dead, if you like. And I'm saying those who have died previously, but will be brought back to life in a, in a sense with reference to the judgment. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. Notice that when Jesus returns, we read it in verse 7 of Revelation 1, there's going to be wailing on account of him. And again, you can imagine what that's going to be like for those that weren't reconciled, for those that weren't 
redeemed, for those that didn't have their sins forgiven. Therefore, our recommendation, our encouragement even today is to be reconciled to God. You know what I mean? Um, or otherwise, prepare to face certain judgment. The Bible says it's appointed unto man, mankind, men and women, once to die, after this, the judgment. Receive God's love. As it says in verse 5, to him who loves us, God currently is, ex is expressing his love to you through Christ Jesus. Embrace that love. And I'm saying, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. That's the purpose of Jesus' coming the first time round. Come and join the consecrated crew in the kingdom of light. And I mean, verse 8 concludes by reminding us that <clears throat> this life is only temporary. I started off by, by making reference to that. Hence the need for us to make um, careful decisions because our decisions have serious implications, not just for Christmas, you know what I'm saying? But potentially for the rest of our lives and even beyond into the next lives, into the next life. Because this life is only temporary and our lives are finite. Verse 8 concludes by saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. How many of you know Alpha and Omega? It's like the, the beginning and the ending of of. Is it the Greek or the Latin? Latin, Latin. What is it? Help me. The Greek. I tried to take Greek at school once. When I went to Bible college. Is that people clearing their throats? I tried, to, I tried to take Greek. It's a short story. I literally took one class. When I went back the following week, because I never learned my verbs and the tenses. And um, tell a lie. Because I hadn't just learned the alphabet properly. They went on to verbs and tenses. And I sat there and I thought... I haven't even learned the alphabet. How am I? I didn't do Greek. <laughs> Thank God for Strong's concordances and for, for Vine's expository commentaries. Praise the Lord. I am the Alpha and Omega. That's the beginning. And how many of you know there are no letters outside of the beginning and the ending of the alphabet? And I'm saying, and everything in between is then referenced to the God who was, who is, and who is to come. And I'm saying, who is the Almighty. Now, um, let me just end on this verse in James. How do we respond, and I'm saying, to the revelation of God with regards to who he genuinely is, especially as revealed here in Revelation chapter 1? Well, what it's caused me to do is consider my life in this sense. James chapter 4 verse 14 says, what is your life? You know what I'm saying? Some translations, some translations say mist. I like the King James, um, or at least the New King James Version. It says, what is your life? It's but a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. You know, like when you go to make a cup of tea, you turn on the kettle, you know what I'm saying? And, <clears throat> and, it's the, and, it, and it starts boiling and you see it boiling and you switch it off and there's all steam coming out. You go around it, you go into the drawer, grab a spoon and come back, the steam's gone. In a split second. Relatively speaking, that's our lives. And I'm saying we're only here for a split second. 
I mean, I look at Mike and I look at a mirror reflection, not just because he's my cousin, but again, because he's going grey. And, and it, 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 sorry, I'm trying to just drag you into this with me. Sorry, bro. It's just a healthy reminder, bro. What can I say? It's the benefit of living, living, living in close proximity to the elders. Actually, Mike's older than me. Um, but... <laughs> only a little bit, only a little bit. But he looks good, isn't it? Isn't it, isn't it, D? Denise is looking after him. Um, how long does it take for us to come to terms with reality, especially as I prayed at the beginning? Living in the West is a throwaway culture, and I'm saying. And um, how many of you know? How many of you know, you can't throw yourself away, or don't look at yourself as just a, a throwaway object, because you can easily do that based on the culture that we're surrounded in. And I'm saying, God doesn't see your life as something that is non-valuable. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have died in the way that he did. And the Bible says, look, based on understanding this and understanding our plight with reference to our sins, and again, the, per the, the price that Jesus paid, how do we, how do we, Hebrew says, how do we expect to escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Or how do we expect to escape if we neglect such a great rescue package? And I'm saying, let's not do that. Um, and let's be encouraged that God is merciful and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the, he's the glorious God of the past, the glorious God of the present. Um, and he's the glorious God of the future. Um, may we see him consistent with the way that he reveals himself. Amen. And may he give us grace to respond. Um, let me pray. Father, thank you. Um, as we come to the end of this, um, this current year, um, thank you for this, these cycles, Lord, that we get to enjoy, whether it's a 24-hour cycle or it's a seven-day cycle or it's a one-month cycle or a, a one-year cycle. We get opportunity, Lord, to kind of reset. And um, I pray that you'd help us to do that, um, even as we're coming to the close of this, this year. Lord, that we would um, really consider our lives um, quite seriously and soberly, especially, Lord, if we haven't had our sins forgiven, if we haven't enjoyed the forgiveness that Jesus purchased for us at the cross, which is the reason why he was placed in that crib, in that manger. He was born to die. And Father, we have the the privilege of seeing that and understanding that as we see Jesus revealed for who he is. It's incredible that Jesus, who is God, the second member of the Trinity, has left heaven, come down to earth in order to save us from our sins in the past. And we currently see your love expressed to us in the present through the gospel. Encouraging us, Lord, to embrace that forgiveness because of the fearful time that's coming in the future. Um, help us to respond to that wonderful revelation we pray. That we might enter into a new year in a new way. And even for us as believers, Lord, remind us, refresh our thinking with regards to 
your goodness, that we might be reminded of that. And the fact that you don't change, you're so wonderfully the same. And for that we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.